Season 2, Episode 4 of Aaron and Patricia. My name is Aaron. My name is Patricia. And you join us on the 20th of uh, June of 2021. And uh, good grief. Um, there's some been highest of highs, lowest of lows, but never did I think we'd ever like end up in between both of them. Like uh, we've yes. ended up with E3. But we're going to go, for half the show today is going to be dedicated to whether th- there's even actually a future for E3 at this point. To be honest with everybody, like uh, we're gonna have a serious discussion about this over over now, and uh, also coming up on the show. If you're not really into that, skip halfway through, and uh, we will talk about the unused Ghostbusters theme that's been discovered, and uh, this is on the point to uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, I believe. That's uh, currently mm-hmm. being talked about again. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, some other stuff with regards to Avatar, uh, the uh, Last Airbender stuff, not the not the new, not the movie. So thankfully, not <laughs> um, Nathan Crowley has joined the Wonka movie. We'll tell you in what uh, way that he's joined that. Uh, we're going to tell you about the Johnny Test revival on Netflix. Why? Uh, we're going to tell you about a uh, upcoming Picks Mix episode. We've not done one of those in a while. We'll tell you about that too. And also, uh, spoilers, warnings for the end of this episode. We are going to give our reaction to the Owl House 2, Season 2, Episode 2. So, you're watching, sorry, listening as Aaron and Patricia on the 20th of June of 2021. Uh, Patricia, before we get into any all the uh, misery and the glory of what was E3 2021, do you want to tell everybody what's going on on the Old School Lane podcast? Yes. So, I just uploaded a new episode of Old School Lane interviews where myself and my co-host Liam Higgins interviewed actor and musician Adam Wiley. Uh, I've had it on my backlog for quite a while, but I finally had the time to upload it. I really recommend that you do. I'll be posting it tomorrow on YouTube. Ordinarily, I would post it today, but due to the fact that today is Father's Day, I decided to, you know, give everybody a chance to spend time with their dads, and then by tomorrow, you can be able to see the premiere of the interview with Adam on YouTube. And also, as mentioned last time, I talked about the Owl House with our friend Morgan Terry. It is up on YouTube as well, so you can go check that out. And also, I am currently editing another episode of Casual Chats. I'm going to be talking about Mighty Ducks with my friend uh, Clancy, and he does his own podcast as well. So you can go check that out. I, I'll leave everything uh, on the you know description below uh, for you to check out my friend's uh, YouTube channel as well as his podcast feed. And also, uh, I have another interview that I'm going to be uh, editing as well. I, I'm not going to say who it is, but let's just say it's, um, it is uh, quite a treat for all of you guys. So yeah, that's what I got coming up. Mm-hmm. Okay, also just to uh, shout out, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. So uh, if you're uh, uh, being uh, spoiled today or if your uh, kids are acting in utter terror, you know, just let you know it's your day today. So uh, Yes. Yeah. And, and if, uh, and if uh, you know, uh, Father's Day is not uh, a, a holiday that you celebrate, then just know that it's also the first day of summer. So happy first day of summer. I'm sure that you're out on the beach somewhere or maybe out with your friends uh, doing other activities of, as long as it's safe, of course. But, yeah, we have two special days going on today. Yeah. I remember there was an episode of Game Grumps that took place on Father's Day, and uh, Aaron and Dan were talking about it. And, uh, you know, uh, Dan was saying about, uh, you know, oh, hey, happy Father's Day. And he was saying, uh, oh, well, uh, you know, I don't think uh, everybody would be... So, you know, he says he has, like, an issue with, like, everyone being overly happy about Father's Day because uh, um, he wanted, like, a reaction to, like, you know, oh, hey, happy Father's Day. And, like, uh, one person said, oh, yeah, you know, uh, we didn't want little Johnny, but uh, I goofed inside my girlfriend's and here we are. 
So, uh, you know. <laughs> so uh, let, let me I, ask you something. Have have they ever actually had an episode of Game Rooms where they just invite their dads to maybe play a game or something? Uh, surprisingly, not actually. No. Um, if they, if they, I'm sure there was one where, and I think uh, they mainly have guest grumps really. Weird Al Yankovic's a bit on the show. So okay. Uh, yeah, like uh, I, I, I don't know if their parents would be weird enough to appear on the show. I have no idea, but uh, fair enough, fair yeah, enough. We'll see. Anyway, um, a good segue uh, from that games to these games. Um, E3 2021 has come to uh, an end, and uh, unfortunately, it's a pretty predictable end. I think we could definitely say. Um, Metro Game Central came in with a very schizophrenic, I would say, uh, response to E3 21. Um, one article got released by Metro saying that E3 had won 2021 because Nintendo's game weren't boring, but then they later released another article saying that Xbox won E3 2021, but uh, only that the loser was the show itself. So, um, I mean, babe, I mean, it's between Nintendo and Xbox. I mean, uh, let's just start off with that, I guess. I mean, who, who would you say was the better man? in this in this fight all right so let's talk about the games that xbox revealed so um starfield which is the uh game that is um going to be coming out this uh next november and we did see that it was an an xbox exclusive so there's that uh halo infinite is going to be having multiplayer um then we have the outer worlds 2 sea of thieves uh, and then, of course, they also um, delved into some more Bethesda games because, as you guys know, Microsoft owns Bethesda. So they talked about Fallout 76 is going to be having some new roadmaps. Uh, Doom Eternal and uh, other Bethesda games are going to be coming to Xbox Game Pass. Forza Horizon 5 had a trailer with the date of November 9th for the release of the game. Uh, Stalker 2 Heart of Chernobyl is going to be coming out next April. Uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator has a console release on Xbox One and Xbox Series S slash X, and that will be coming out in a few weeks in July 27th. Yeah. Then uh, we have I, Battlefield. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but I think I recall, I think this is going to be like the first flight, Microsoft Flight Simulator games to actually appear on a console, if I'm yes, not mistaken. Yes, it is. That's a big yes, deal. Is. That is a massive big deal, especially since we talked... Was it last week or two weeks ago that that you know Flight Simulator made it into the video game Hall of Fame? Yeah, and now only now is it appearing on a console. I know. How, how long has it been? Like over twenty something years. Probably longer than that. Sorry, I was I had a drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like how long has it been? Twenty, thirty. Oh, oh wait, I had a drink. Never mind. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> well, so I, I, were... I remember playing Microsoft Flight Simulator back in the eighties. Like you know, like it, it's a pretty old game from what I understand. Oh, okay. Well, I, I didn't play it that long ago, but then again, you're slightly older than me, so what do I know? And then, uh, let's yeah, see. like I think you're what, you're 35, and I'm I'm coming on 36 soon. Yeah, so. so about a year and four months, I would say. Okay. Anyway, so the other games that were revealed were Battlefield 2042, and then uh, Arkin Austin's next game, which is called Redfall. So those are the games that were revealed in Xbox slash Bethesda. As for Nintendo, well, they also had their um, reveals of games, like uh, there's going to be a new WarioWare game, there's going to be a new Mario Party game, uh, there's going to be a new Metroid game, uh, there's going to be uh, some other things, like some ports that we have, um, you know, seen that was kind of surprising, to be quite honest, uh, one of which was a... Um, 
I don't know if it's, if this is a port actually because I've I, I know from when you first introduced it to me, but Worms Rumble, another or the game in the Worms franchise, which uh, I remember you showed me on your PC a long time ago. Yeah, I think uh, um, you know um, Worms, you know definitely. I think um, this is the thing. Like, uh, sorry, continue. Like, I'm just waffling at this moment. Okay, so. uh, the next one that they revealed was a quick trailer for the sequel to Breath of the Wild, which is going to be coming out in 2022. Uh, there's also the fact that we have a new character for Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, and it is Kasuya from the Tekken franchise. That's going to be really interesting. Yeah, and his thing's considering... apparently his thing's going to be throwing people off cliffs. Wow. <laughs> yes, it is. I from when I remember that was a thing that he did in Tekken. I, I, I think it was six that it was, but I'm not sure. It's been a while since I played the Tekken games. Uh, there's Mario Golf, another game in the Mario Golf series. Uh, Shin Megami Tensei V is going to be coming out this November. And, uh, this is something that we already knew from the Square Enix, uh, announcement, but the Guardians of the Galaxy game is going to be coming out for the Switch. And we already knew this from the Ubisoft, um, expo that Mario and Rabbids, their next installment is going to be coming out. So those are the games that were revealed for Nintendo. So now that we know what the games were revealed for both Xbox and Nintendo, who do you think was the strongest in terms of presentation and the games that were revealed? For, you know, um, everyone's going to think, everyone knows I'm going to say Nintendo because obviously I'm such a Nintendo fan for sure. This is the problem that we have here. Like, the, uh, the Nintendo diehards, and believe me, there's even those who exist among the neutrals, are going to say that that Nintendo won this uh, this year's E3, but at the same time, there's going to be those who don't like Nintendo and also are hardcore, you know, uh, Xbox and also hardcore Bethesda fans are also going to you know jump on um, you know the Xbox band, the Microsoft bandwagon and say that they won E3. So it's all going to be a matter of opinion, really. Um, the obviously. IGN um, did their, um, you know, their, their readers poll, and they said that uh, you know Xbox Bethesda won this year's E3, and that's down their interpretation. But you know, there's also other uh, magazines and other, you know, other you know fan sites, and also other you know places on the internet that are giving this to Nintendo. So um, I got to be honest with everybody. I mean, I would say I've not heard Gamespot's uh, view on this yet, so I don't know what Gamespot are thinking right now. But uh, right now, I think this is a, this is a solid draw. I think, between uh, Nintendo and Xbox at the moment, I would say. So. Well, I'm going to lean a little bit more towards Nintendo. You know why? Why? Two words. Metroid Dread. I think, yeah. I think we can all agree that probably Metroid Dread was the uh, the, the amazing announcement, I think, out of um, everything that was going on. By the way, um, a lot of uh, people saying that, uh, you know, Metroid Dread was uh, not going to see the light of day, and here we are. So, I think... Uh, what was it that... Uh, what should we call it? Um, didn't, like... Wasn't it like a reviewer on, on on YouTube who said he would, like, you know, drink out of a toilet or something? Like, if, it, if Metroid Dread was ever announced, and I think he actually ended up doing it or something like that. Um, I oh, I, I remember I what it was, was now. No, 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 yeah. no, no I, I remember it. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, he said he was going to like eat his cereal on Pornhub or something like that, and he ended up doing it, uh, to, to my knowledge. I don't know who I remember who it was, but like uh, he said, he said, oh yeah, I will do a Pornhub video if, uh, what should we call it, if uh, Metroid Dread gets announced, and now Metroid Dread's been announced. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Our, uh, there was also a guy on Twitter who said that um, for every person who followed him on Twitter that he was going to follow them back if a Wario game was announced. And he said it would never happen. And then <laughs> the newest game of the WarioWare uh, series came out, and he's like, well, 
I won, but at the same time, I lost. Yeah, so, uh, well, I hope he's got a, a bunch of uh, people to, uh, you know, help him follow all those people on Twitter. So, um, yeah. yeah, but let's talk about let's talk about Metroid Dread, because I talked about this last week saying, please, Nintendo, please, please, please release Metroid Dread. <laughs> I know that you're working on Metroid Prime 4, but can we please, you know, at least go back into the idea well that was Metroid Dread? And they did, and I am so happy. Yeah, I think, I think uh, Nintendo definitely made the right decision here to bring this back. And, uh, you know, I think as well, they've got a solid idea for it. Like, uh, mind you, um, I'm sure we thought about this last last week as well, because I think there was some news about Dread, but uh, um, I don't want the... You know, obviously you had that bit where that, uh, you know, that thing was chasing, chasing uh, you know, Samus around and then eventually killed him. Yeah. yeah, that thing, yeah. And uh, I don't know, like, I really hope that's only going to be for, like, a segment of the game, because if it ends up being kind of like the entirety of it all, I'm not too sure if I would enjoy it or not. You know, I think. Well, uh, th- there's a lot of things that were revealed in that trailer, and I saw some people doing like, um, you know, analysis regarding about the Nintendo Treehouse playthrough, as well as uh, a certain amount of game journalists who were exclusively invited over for a Q and A with um, Yoshio Sakamoto, as well as showcasing some new gameplay that was not revealed to the public. And, oh man, there are so many cool things that have been revealed. Such as the fact that this is going to be the last game in, you know, the the, the storyline involving with, the, with Samus and the Metroids. And also that um, the cliffhanger that was shown in Metroid Samus Returns regarding about the Chozo memories is also going to be played integral into it, which I'm super excited about. And we did see that quick little second in the trailer with the Chozo uh, fiddling around with the computer, which I think that that's the evil Chozo who was the one who betrayed the soldier Chozo, who were calling in for some backup to help, um, you know, defeat the Metroids after they had um, evolved, and he killed them, and they decided to let them stay and survive. So I think he's going to play a major part in this, and I am super excited. I mean, you have to understand how big of a story this is. I mean, in the last game, which was Metroid Fusion, which came out 19 years ago... Uh, Samus disobeyed orders from the Galactic Federation to leave the Metroids and the X-Parasite so they can experiment on it. She destroyed the planet itself, destroyed the X-Parasite, and she's the last remnant of the Metroid DNA. So she is deemed as a traitor for the Galactic Federation. And the Emmy is a Galactic Federation robot that is chasing her. So... There's a lot of stuff going on, and the gameplay looks amazing, uh, done by Mercury Steam, the same people who did Metroid Samus Returns, and I'm super stoked. And I, I and you know what really makes me happy is that people who have never played a Metro game are doing so much fan art and a lot of speculation and reactions that are so exciting to them and saying, I'm going to buy this game. I mean, if we want to see more Metroid games, which uh, Sakamoto said that even though that Metroid Dread is going to conclude the story with Samus and the Metroids, he also has, you know, he already has the script for another game written. So if we want to see another Metroid game, we need to sell it really well. Because I mentioned this many times before for every time that I talk about Metroid, is that Metroid games do not sell very well in both Japan and in North America. So hmm. the highest. I don't know. Grossing- like seeing, seeing how exciting the Metroid Dread you know trailer was accepted by, I think uh, by most of the, by most of the Nintendo fans. I think we might see a reverse trend to this time around, especially now that it's going to be far more you know accessible. You know, I'm sure it'll be available in the Nintendo Store. You don't need to uh, you know go out of your way to download something from the Nintendo Store, do you? 
Exactly, yeah. This will be on the Switch, and it will be much more accessible than the 3DS when it was at its last years when nobody was buying it anymore. So, yeah, this will be on a console that everybody's going to be playing, and this will be a lot of people's first introduction to the Metroid franchise. And Sakamoto even himself said that you don't need to worry about playing the other games in the series because it'll do a quick recap and it'll be easy for fans to get into. So I'm hoping this will turn into a fire... um, Fire Emblem Awakening, in which, you know, that was a lot of people's first introduction to the Fire Emblem games. And then, you know, that was originally supposed to be the last game in the series because sales were really, really tanking. And then it became a huge franchise. And now we have like over 20 something characters in Smash Brothers. <laughs> but anyway. You, you, you know what we really want to do? Like, you know, when they do like the whole introduction to like the Metroid story, like they should really do it like, uh, you know, kind of like Metal Gear Solid, kind of like cinematics in a way, like, uh, you know, like how, st- you know, do it like really stylized. I'd really love to see that if they did that, you know, like, mm. uh, that'd be that'd be really cool to see, like, saying, you know, like, uh, hey, this is how it all started, and this is how we all got here, you know, and, uh, yeah. you know, obviously, don't make it, like, you know, two hours long, like every Metal Gear Solid cutscene seems to be, but, so, you know, like, uh, just, you know, just do just do a brief, brief recap with, like, in a really cool style, and then kick into the game. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I would love that. And the fact that Adam is going to be returning, which I'm really excited. Uh, Please make it Fusion Adam and not other M Adam. Otherwise, (laughs) I'll just break something. And uh, also, I really love the design of the Fusion suit that Samus is wearing. It looks super cool. It has the colors that are akin to, like, the Metroid design. Uh, Takamoto said that there's going to be a storyline as to why she has that as opposed to the other... Um, suit that she was wearing when she absorbed the SAX. So I'm looking forward to that. Also, the new abilities such as the slide made me think of Mega Man when I first saw it. And also the Phantom Cloak, which uh, looks really cool to make herself invisible when the Emmy are chasing her. So yeah, I mean, I am stoked for this game. It's coming out in October 8th. And if you can, please buy it. Yeah. Well, I think uh, now that uh, she's using the uh, the fusion suits, I think uh, she can't like uh, she can't use her ice beam, so she has to use ice missiles. If I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, she has to use the ice missiles. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, we look forward to Metroid Dread, and uh, we look forward to all the other stuff that Nintendo brought us to us to our attention as well. Like uh, you know, we're going to be getting another Breath of the Wild, and uh, we're going to be getting uh, obviously we've got Tekken now appearing in Smash Brothers, and uh, we've got you know WarioWare making another return as well. Like Nintendo uh, did this really well, and so I think you know if we had to choose between Xbox and Nintendo, I think uh, obviously me and Patricia being uh, fans of Nintendo franchises, I mean obviously we're going to say Nintendo, but uh, I think it's going to be down to everyone else's interpretation really who they thought you know one. 2021. So. Yeah, I can say that I have not really played most Xbox games because I never owned an Xbox. I'm going to definitely lean more towards Nintendo. <laughs> so, um, anyway, besides Xbox and Nintendo, my good grief. I mean, like, uh, this, was, uh, this was a wasteland of an E3. And, you know, here's the thing about this. I mean, we can't really blame... E3 itself in a way, because, I mean, look at the situation we're currently in at the moment, like, no one's going to E3 physically, they're all at home, you know, obviously because of the pandemic, and so, um, I mean, there was no real way that E3 could really, you know, muster up anything that would have been uh, anything spectacular. I mean, obviously, you know, there's been more good news recently about, you know, how the vaccines have been, and who knows where we'll be next year. But, uh, I mean, um, you can't, can we really blame E3 for this, you know, this debacle of what we had? 
I mean, like, uh, I mean, I don't think there was any real reason for it. You know, obviously Nintendo gave it a massive go, and obviously Xbox gave it a massive go. And uh, but I mean, in regards to Capcom, you know, Ubisoft, Square Enix, you know, the PC gaming show. I mean, um, can, can E3 really be blamed for like uh, you know the uh, the lackluster reception that these uh, showcases got, or the lackluster uh, you know content that they gave us? Mm. I think it's also due to presentation, like the fact that Gearbox gave us 30 minutes just focusing on the Borderlands movie, and then Square Enix just mostly talked about, um, you know, their Marvel games, and people were like, where's Final Fantasy VII Remake? You know, where's the second installment? And then, of course, there's their introduction of the, you know, classic Final Fantasy games, where, you know, they were showcasing their pixel art, and people were like, really? This is what you're giving us, for, you know, as a retro revival. And then they gave us a dark, gritty reboot for the first Final Fantasy game. It's like, this is not what Square Enix fans are asking for. Mm. And um, then, there, there, you know, then there's the other, um, you know, uh, stuff like Ubisoft. I mean, we already talked about Ubisoft. And um, then there's also uh, Xbox Bethesda. We just mentioned that before. And I, I mean, I, I didn't really see anything that like majorly stood out. Like, I mean, you know, some of the stuff were like, oh, yeah, that's really cool. But it wasn't like something that I would have like expected E3. I mean, E3 is supposed to be like a major event with like big, fantastical presentations with big music and colors and um, performances and unfortunately because they were limited due to the fact that there was barely anybody there and they had to work with what they had at home that yeah it just felt like a lackluster presentation overall and people are wondering can E3 even afford to be around anymore I mean Sony didn't even show up this year because well, they were going to do the PlayStation experience exactly yeah I mean like uh, I guarantee I think if we weren't in the situation that they're in I think Sony probably would have turned up I think, uh, but mm. so the fact that they kind of said to themselves, well, what's the point of turning up if no one's going to physically be there? We might as well just do the PlayStation experience and tell everybody what's going on and uh, basically do that. I think um, I think if there was, like, on top of that as well, like, uh, you know, um, you know, even Comic-Cons, comic conventions aren't even going at the moment. At least, you know, not in some major capacity, at least at least at the minute. So, um, it's going to be... I think it's going to be a difficult decision for Sony to kind of justify saying, okay, we're going to have a massive presence at any convention this year, uh, given the fact that, we you know, we can't get any pe many people to turn up. You know, like, uh, mm -hmm. even then, with only a certain amount of people having the vaccine, I think, you know, let's say, for example, they had, like, uh, you know, uh, people turning up to, like, vaccine-only events, where or, like, people who, like, turn up with negative COVID tests. Even then, it would only be a couple of thousand people and not the normal numbers they'd be expecting. Oh. Yeah. And also not to mention that, as you mentioned before, that, you know, Sony's going to be having the PlayStation experience. Nintendo already has a Nintendo Direct. So people were just saying, hey, why don't the other companies just split off and just do their own things as opposed to, like, gathering up together and just have this major presentation? I mean, I mean, let, let's be honest. I mean, the concept of that would be really, really cool. But I think that with the advent of the Internet and the fact that, you know, originally, you know, E3 would not only be presenting over to the gamers, but also to, you know, um major investors and i think that um they if they if they, if e3 is going to stick around they really need to step up in terms of their presentation especially if they're not going to have another in-person um presentation next year so whether they want to you know postpone it for another year or whether they want to you know do it digitally but maybe play around with the presentation some more but i'm not sure but all i know is is that e3 is in trouble yeah Anyway, I just posted something to you in the Discord chat, so we can have a look at that whilst uh, I'm uh, looking through it. But uh, yeah, I mean, that seems to be the attitude of most people right now. You know, like, uh, Nintendo just walked in 
and basically just uh, announced a load of stuff and just blew away everyone. And uh, it's just uh, nobody, you know, uh, Capcom, I mean, you know, like, uh, they, they turned around and said, oh, uh, you know, they've got the old Monster Hunter and, like, eSports, and they talked about that, but, it's, you know, uh, you know, anything new, they just, uh, they, they just didn't want to, just didn't want to know. And uh, yeah. it's just, it's... No, no Mega Man news. Yeah, exactly. No street, no, yeah, where's Mega Man? I mean, Mega Man's anniversary is going to be coming up next year. People are going to be wanting at least a preview of an upcoming Mega Man game. And also, the Battle Network series is celebrating its 20th anniversary. So nothing on that. Yeah. So, you know, there's that. And, you know, what about any Street Fighter updates? Um, yeah, I know we got the Resident uh, Evil we just talking about? Always just talking about missed opportunity after missed opportunity after missed opportunity with Capcom. They had a lousy E3. Like, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, just uh, how, how, how terrible that was. And, uh, yeah, so, um, I mean, one thing that people were expecting in Capcom, they were, like, uh, expecting, like, something either from Strider, Dino Crisis, Rival Rival Schools, Power Stone, Final Fight, Darkstalkers, Beautiful, even a Beautiful Joe, Cyber, you know, Beautiful Joe hasn't even been, you know, uh, had a relevant game in a good long while, and even people were crying out for that, at least. And they didn't even, yeah. you know, like, it's just, it's, uh, uh I mean, when was the last time that Beautiful Joe came out? Like, around GameCube? the GameCube era? Yeah. Yeah, that was like almost 20 years ago. And people still remember it, and are still saying, why not Why not bring it out? Like, it's yeah. just, you know, that'd be an interesting addition to the Switch library, I would have sure. thought. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Why not? Like, it's just, you know, it's just, it's just, you just put it over and it's done, you know? Here's some money. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, I think that Capcom just has a lot of stuff in their library that you know, that the fans want. But unfortunately, you know, Resident Evil is already making a lot of money for them. And there's even an announcement that Devil May Cry is going to have another reboot. Like, what? You tried the first time. I mean, everybody loved Devil May Cry 5. You know, if, if people wanted that over a reboot, then, you know, give them what they want. But I don't know. I'm just reading somebody's uh, E3 record, report card here. I don't know what... Uh, I don't know where this is from, but I think it's just one of the uh, Twitter people who just... Uh, um, put it on there, but uh, uh, so um, one person's commented: Ubisoft uh, stuff and things. Uh, I don't know. You already showed off uh, Far Cry Six expectations. Probably show probably more Rainbow Six stuff. Uh, hype was uh, low, and the reality is that uh, you've had basically had blood coming out of your ears, and they gave it a D D plus, basically. Oof. And yeah, this person also gave Gearbox an F plus. <laughs> I don't know, can you get an <laughs> F plus? What's an F plus? Like, is well, it just F? Um, you, you yeah, you're a failure, but it's it's better than an F minus, where you're like an uber failure. It's like Mrs. Grubapple, like, oh, it's a high F. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Randy Pitch is slipping on his own grease, uh, and uh, expectations, third season pass for Borderlands 3, not even included in the current bundles, hype zero, basically. Um, Xbox Bethesda was given, this person gave it a B plus. So I think uh, he was uh, okay with that. Square Enix got a C in this uh, guy's opinion. It was uh, literally just uh, Final Fantasy remake news, basically. And uh, the PC gaming... Oh, by the way, the PC gaming show, this guy gave it an F-. minus. Like, uh, and basically, okay. all he did was, uh, in regards to uh, like his review, he basically just posted up like a, a, a comic panel of control or delete of this guy's computer burning up. Basically, yeah. <laughs> wow. So. Yeah, um, Take Two Interactive. Um, oh, good grief! Um, they did not even give it a grade. They basically just uh, showed an anime character with a with a in a in a uh, what you call it a uh, a chopping block. So yeah, I think that you can tell we thought about Take Two Interactive. Capcom got a C plus in this guy's view. Uh, literally just uh, only Resident Evil news. Yeah, I think we probably agree with that. Nintendo got yep. an A minus. 
So it was still an A, at least. Okay. So that was it for him. And Bandai, Bandai Namco basically just got an okay. Not a grade, not a review or anything, kind of just okay. You know, like, I wasn't expecting too much, I don't think, from uh, from Bandai Namco. So, Bandai okay. Namco. I, th- I can say it. I can say it. Bandai <laughs> Namco. There you okay, go. There we go. So, yeah, but, you know, I think the next question, I think everyone's everyone's mind, like, what is the future of E3? I mean, keep this in mind, I mean, we've seen bad E3s in the past. Like, this won't be yes. the first and this won't be the last. And to say that this should all be, like, happening on the on the future of E3, I mean, like, uh, um, I'm just reading what uh, someone was saying. I was at Push Square. I mean, obviously, they're a, a PlayStation fan site, but and they're basically saying, oh, you know, E3 is, re- is a relic desperately cr- cringing on re- cringing relevancy. Um, but, um, you know, even though, like, Sony themselves even congratulated Xbox on their showcase. So, you know, even Sony's watching E3, even though they're not there. So, like, I mean, what are their fa- why are their fans saying, oh, there's no point to E3, but Sony doesn't, doesn't agree. They seem to think that uh, it's still worth watching, even if they're not there. And it's like... Uh, also giving, you know, respect and congratulations words due. Exactly, yeah. So, um, you know, like, uh, so I, I think, it's, I mean, obviously this is a bad E3, but to say that the future of E3 hinges on this, like, keep in mind, there's been bad E3s in the past and it's never gone away. I think we'll be back next year talking about this for a while, at least. Yeah, so. but I, I definitely do think that if they are going to do another virtual E3, that they definitely need to work on their Oh, they can't do it. Yeah, I mean, but uh, I think now, I think, here's the thing about this. Like, if it keeps being virtual, I think its relevancy will start to will start to deteriorate. I think I will agree on that. I think they basically need to bring it back to, like, oh, hey, we're going to reopen the Los Angeles Convention Center. We're going to have people in, I think. You know, yeah, like, that 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 needs to happen, and you know, I get there's you know there's obviously the coronavirus and everything like that, but I mean, um, I don't know where we're, again. We I don't know where we're going to be next year. I like to think we're going to be in a more positive position next year. I like to think. I like to think we're going to get fans back in. But uh, yeah, actually, that's one thing as well. They're going to have to make this far more open to people. It can't just be kind of like okay, we're going to put all the uh, you know the celebrities and uh, all the other people first, and then after that, we'll maybe let a couple of people in. You know, I think they're going to have to basically open this up to the public more now. I think to obviously yeah, yeah. you know getting that that's because you know I'll tell you what you know if um if E three you know and if the circumstances change I mean like uh, you know if if you and I got invitations to E three if we got a chance to like go there on a, on a, on, a, on a cheap buck I mean you you and I wouldn't say no would we Are you kidding me I would be there yesterday uh, yeah I'd be I'd be there even further I'd be there last week but, <laughs> uh, you know like uh, yeah definitely but uh, yeah I think uh, now you know E three is gonna have to do something. I think in regards to this, because right now, like, uh, they can't just keep having virtual events. I mean, eventually, you know, g- creators are going to catch on and say, well, why don't we just host our own events if it's all going to be virtual? You know? Mm-hmm. It, will, it will be yeah. like that. Anyway, uh, I think we should, uh, I mean, there's uh, one bit, I mean, should we focus on the negative news first, or should we focus on the positive news? I really want to go out on a high after saying all of that, really. So, all right, uh, go yeah. for it. Okay, so let's get this other bit of negative news out of the way. Um, I mean, it wasn't really E3 related, but uh, Scott Clawthorn has announced his retirement after the whole GOP debacle, basically. Right. So yeah, he's, we, he's we didn't talk back. about that. La- yeah, so for those who didn't tune in last week, um, Scott Cawthorn, who is the creator of the Five Nights at Freddy's games, uh, they found out uh, on Reddit that he had been doing donations over to some Republican candidates, including former President Donald Trump. And everybody just got really, really angry. And then he just stated his um, his comments saying that, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm a Republican, I just donated to these causes. If I'm going to be canceled, so be it. I had, you know, a good run. 
And if, you know, I'm, if I'm going to be continuing to, um, program the games i'm going to do it because i love it not because of the money and so now we had the announcement that he has decided to retire and he's going to possibly give the reins of finance at fridays to somebody else yeah it's just it's uh, i mean he didn't need to do this i mean like uh, it just uh, he, he's so reactionary maybe 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 he's better off as a republican i don't know but uh, i mean like uh, he didn't need to react like this all he needed to do was just let it all settle down and like uh, just let it all go away eventually you know release another five nights of Fridays, you know, when the, when the time is right. I mean, who knows? Maybe the time was right probably now. You know, and then all of this would, you know, he, all of this would just be going away. Keep this in mind, like, you know, Dwayne Johnson was a Republican at one point. You know, like before he supported Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I mean, like, uh, you know, uh, it is a situation like he who has not sinned cast the first stone. Like, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people also at E3 have also been like supportive of Donald Trump and the Republican Party at some point in their time, you know, before they knew better. So, I mean, it's, um, I mean, regardless of call for, I mean, obviously he's uh, he's going to get it in the neck because obviously he supported a president who doesn't like democracy and, uh, you know, tried to overthrow the state capital on July the 6th. I mean, like, uh, that, that's that's not a secret. But uh, at the same time, like... Uh, uh, you know, it's not a, it's not a, a it's not a, you know, an, an offense that he, where he needs to do jail time or anything like that. You know, like uh, people have donated to the Republican Party in the past, and you know, Scott Cawthorn is not the first, and he won't be the last in regards to that. So all he needed to do was basically just let the, you know, not donate any more money to, uh, you know, to, to these people. You know, just uh, let it all settle down, and eventually just release another game, and everyone will forget all about it. But instead, he's reacting like this and making, making, making a fool of himself. Well, I, I, from what I understand, and you know, this is somebody who is not in the community of Five Nights at Freddy's. I've never even played any of the games, um, but I do know that he is very active online, whether it be on Reddit or whether it be on his official website. And I know that he does a lot of appearances on YouTube channels that talk about Five Nights at Freddy's. I know he's been in Matt Pat's channel a couple of times, so. I take it that maybe the YouTube community, maybe they brought the announcement forward and maybe that it reacted so badly to him that he knows that he cannot rely on some people from the internet to give him support. I don't know, but... It's like a sabbatical. Yeah. It's like a sabbatical. Just go away for a couple of months. Go fly fishing or whatever, you know, like, uh, I'm sure he's... Uh... I'm sure you can go out on the coast for a while and do you know do something else and just get away out of the public limelight just for a, just for a while and then come back when the time is right. You know, like, it's just, it's, uh, I just think that, uh, I think he's just over, I think he's overreacted, I think, in my opinion. Well, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens. I know that there's going to be another Five Nights at Freddy's games that's going to be coming out uh, pretty soon, so maybe by then, maybe things will cool down, and maybe that this whole debacle will um, not be a big deal for a lot of the fans. I'm not sure, but we'll just wait and see what happens. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, I mean, I'm really surprised if if there are Five Nights at Freddy's fans, um, you know, like, I know how hardcore they can be. I'm really surprised that they care. To be honest, like, I don't. Uh, I, I mean, to be quite honest, I mean, even as a not fan of Five Nights at Freddy's, I just look at it and I'm like, eh, okay. It's it's terrible. Don't get me wrong. Like, uh, he shouldn't have done it, but he's done it, and so yeah, you can't take it back now. But uh, you know, again, like, uh, you know, there's other people I'm sure who they have liked to have made unfortunate, you know, donations to the Republican Party, and uh, you know, I don't think that's really dented them. So again, Scott Cawthorn won't be the first, won't be the last, you know. Mm. So. Yeah. Anyway, um, moving on to uh, the uh, and again we want to we want to finish this on a high. So uh, Dog Deity, which uh, is uh, I believe uh, an independent game, I think uh, that was also uh, showcased I think at E3 virtually, uh, is actually uh, actually from what I understand is uh, actually on the top of the Steam sales charts at the moment. 
So, yeah, so Dark Deity is a role-playing game developed by an indie company known as Sword and Axe, and it was funded by Kickstarter, and it came out just a few days ago on Steam, and it is currently number one. And from what I've heard from reviews, they say it is an ambitious strategy RPG, and it is trying to rekindle the RPG fire after being dormant for a very long time. So I guess that's true. I mean, when was the last time that we heard about a tactical role-playing video game? I mean, a lot of people, they go over to, like, action RPGs or real-time strategies or um, roguelites. But, you know, a traditional tactical role-playing game is not something that you hear very often. Unless, of course, it fits going into the... Um, uh, you know, going into like bigger companies such as Square Enix. But no, this is a small independent company and they are utilizing like the, you know, classic uh, RPGs of the past, such as like Fire Emblem. And they are going into that kind of direction where a lot of people are really wanting it and it's gotten a lot of praises from it. Yeah, I just think maybe this is the future for E3. Maybe they should probably start saying to all independent developers, oh, hey, come showcase your stuff over here. We'll even give you a discount if you do. You know, like yeah. Uh, I mean, when 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 the the announcement for Hades, which was also a roguelike game that came out for the PC, and they're saying, "Hey, we're going to release it on the Switch." Everybody was really excited about it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but so you know, Dark Deity is uh, out there now, and so yeah, definitely check it out. So. Mm -hmm. mm, cool. So yeah, uh, we leave E3 on that high, and uh, yeah, we hope independent developers are going to get uh, more show showcase more at E3. So uh, if Absolutely. the uh, if the big guys uh, you know decide to go away, so mm -hmm. all right, moving on to other news. Uh, so if you've uh, joined us here at the uh, point where we aren't talking about E3, then uh, we're going to go straight into this. So um, Ghostbusters Afterlife is uh, going to be upon us very soon, and uh, but uh, funnily enough, uh, Ghostbusters fans have unearthed what they believe is an unused Ghostbusters theme that was uh, uh, was demoed, and now the demo tape seems to have come to light. So uh, yeah, this this was actually a really interesting bit of news, considering that I mean I've never heard of this. I mean everybody knows about the classic Ghostbusters theme from Ray Parker Jr., but apparently there was supposed to be another Ghostbusters theme that was supposed to be played, but was never done. And this was done from what I remember, the guy was named uh, Pat Thrall, and um, it was known as Hugh slash Thrall Ghostbusters Demo 1983, and it was rejected because, uh, the, I'm going to read the quote right here. Um, let's see, the guy that mixed it had been awake for a week on cocaine. It is one of the worst mixes ever, and I listened to it, and wow, it is downright terrible. The mixing is really bad. It doesn't sound clear and concise. It sounds like it was done in a room without proper... Um, you know, ventilation and, you know, proper editing. And the song itself is just... Eh. I mean, if that would have been the Ghostbusters theme, I don't think that we would remember it as fondly. Yeah, I think... Uh, I mean, when I listened to it, like, I thought that, oh, hey, this is just a demo. So, like, I would have thought... Oh, I could forgive, like, the... Uh the amateurish, you know, like, uh, you know, thing like, yeah, I'm sure they would have cleaned it up, like, if they decided to accept it, but obviously, yeah, I mean, given the, it's unfortunate, uh, um, construction, I think, obviously, yeah, I don't think, uh, they were gonna really take it on, and, uh, let's be honest, like, Ray Parker Jr., when he came out with Ghostbusters, there was no way any other theme was going to replace Ghostbusters. 
after that. I mean, yeah, it's like if you were to tell John Williams, hey, um, we're going to get some other guy and you're not going to do the Indiana Jones or Star Wars theme. You're not going to do that because it's John Williams. Of course, you're going to let him do that. Same thing with Ray Parker Jr. It's like, oh, yeah, you're not going to sing the Ghostbusters theme song. It's like, yes, you are, because... You know, it's good. Yeah, but, uh, you know, Ray, even if it wasn't Ray Parker Jr., even if it was just the song itself, like, keep this in mind, like, uh, you know, uh, what's we call it? That's uh, that Irish band, Jed, you know, uh, what's it called? Jedwood. Like, uh, they, they even did a, 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 a parody of it, and uh, they ended up going through, uh, you know, uh, uh, or, you know, it's through uh, their uh, their singing competition or whatever to so the next round. Through Ghost. I you have know, not heard that. Yeah, like, uh, Ghostbusters is, uh, you know, just, it's an iconic theme. Like, uh, even if it wasn't sung by Ray Parker Jr., like, this, the song itself is actually enough to get people singing it, you know? And like, uh, it's something strange in your neighborhood. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Exactly. You know, like, or, everyone knows or, this or thing. if we're going to go through the NES. Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> it's just, it's, uh, everybody knows this song, and it's, such, it's, like, it's like YMCA. Like, everybody knows what to do when this song comes on. You know, yeah, like it's like the Adams Family theme song. Everybody knows when to snap their fingers. Oh, we will, we will rock you. You know, like uh, yeah. it's like it, it, it's, it, it's Ghostbusters theme will be up there with the uh, the iconic cheesy songs. I guarantee you up there, and uh, you know it's played at children's parties. It's played it's played at adult parties. You know, if you if you if, you, if you're into that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, like uh, and again, like when everyone thinks of uh, Ghostbusters, the Ghostbusters movie, that's one of the things that they think about the theme song. So, yeah. But, you know, like, uh, this demo, you know, obviously, I-, I looked at it and thought, this is just, like, the first attempt at trying to do this. And I would have thought that uh, they would have, like, you know, uh, s- s- made suggestions, and obviously it would have warped into the Ghostbusters theme as we got to there. Obviously, see, hearing about its, uh, you know, dire upbringing and its dire death, I think uh, we can be forgiven that. So, yeah, this is definitely not going anywhere from the sounds of it. So Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. So, that's a piece of Ghostbusters history that uh, we never knew about and maybe shouldn't have. <laughs> So. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to leave this one to you, uh, Patricia. So, uh, do you get a chance to li- listen to uh, uh, Dante Bosco and he and the Avatar actors have their uh, uh, Braving the Elements podcast uh, trailer? Um, what do you think of it? I did see the trailer, and I am really, really excited about it. So, for those who don't know what I'm referring to, uh, Dante Bosco, who is the voice of Prince Zuko from Avatar The Last Airbender, and Janet Varney, who voices as the main Avatar, Korra, in The Legend of Korra, are going to be doing a podcast together. It is called Avatar Braving the Elements, and they're going to be recapping every episode of both Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra, as well as include some special guests into to the limelight so this is going to be really interesting considering that um usually when it comes to like recap podcasts and they become really popular over the past few years it's usually like fans who like you know cover every episode and they give their own personal thoughts but never have i've heard about you know people who worked in the show itself watch the show and then give their critiques of it as well as some you know behind the scenes trivia and some uh key elements and all that kind of stuff so i I know that technically dante bosco did do this uh for the honor society which is something that he did for twitch 
where uh, that this was like a few years ago where he was going to watch the series for the first time all the way through because even though that he had recorded his lines, he did not watch the show all the way through. So he was going to be watching the show along with his Twitch streamers and then he was going to give his critiques and he was going to give his thoughts on it. And uh, I guess, you know, because we haven't had a Nickelodeon themed podcast in a while, I mean, even with the podcast that we had with Hector Navarro kind of stopped. Um, so we have uh, Dante and Janet are going to be discussing about each of the episodes and they're going to have special guests or even going to have Mike and Brian, who are the creators of the show, come on in. So, yeah, I'm really excited about it. And if you are interested in listening in, it'll be coming out this Tuesday on June 22nd, and it will be on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify and other podcast platforms. Yeah. You know what? We would love to have Dante Bosco on the show. I oh, I would it. love that so much. Yeah, I, I tell you what, actually, um, I used to know his agents at one point. And, oh, cool. Uh, yeah, so, actually, did I ever tell the story on the show about? Uh, I don't. Okay, so um, Dante Bosco, as you know, obviously voices Prince Zuko and is very involved in Avatar in so many ways. He's a big fan of the show, and uh, obviously, he ended up doing a lot of appearances out of that. And one, I would say, unfortunate appearance is that he ended up on an episode of the Nostalgia Critic. And uh, so um, this, uh, obviously, this was like a probably like a year before the whole you know change the channel debacle and everything like that. And so um, I realized that wait a second, you know, he's doing the uh, you know the Comic Con panels, you know, obviously like you know where where he does Q and As and he does Q and A with the fans. So um, I went to you know the the person who was uh, looking after him at the time and said, hey, you know, um, you know, he's doing these panels and everything like that. I mean, you are aware that this whole change the channel stuff is happening. And so I actually you know gave him over the document that said you know suggested all like all the allegations that were going on. So you know I think uh, it was thanks to that I think uh, he uh, the reason why he didn't get uh, many embarrassing questions I think over it. So uh, what happened with uh, you know the whole change the channel thing, you know. Mm. So, well, um, I, I actually met Dante as well in a convention, and this was around his birthday. Um, while he was doing a Q&A, there were a few fans who actually surprised him with a birthday cake that looked like Rufio. Oh, and he wow. was just like really, yeah, that was like a really um, surprising thing. And Dante was very appreciative, and then he started, um, you know, like everybody sung happy birthday to him. And... Um, and then afterwards, he continued on with his Q&A, and then afterwards, he just took the cake with him. So, yeah, that was actually really cool. I, I didn't get to meet him, unfortunately, because there were, like, tons of fans who were around him. I, I think I did for, like, a brief second, but unfortunately, you know, he had to go. He had um, to go over to another panel. So, you know, I just, um, you know, told him that I appreciated his work and that I hope that he enjoyed uh, Orlando, because I think this was the first time he was in Orlando, so... Yeah, um, that's my Dante Bosco story. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely check out that podcast if you do. And uh, so Braving the Elements, and it's uh, going to be coming soon. So. Yeah, and uh, also another thing, if you want to uh, hear my interview with Janet Varney that I did a long time ago when Legend of Korra had released its final episode, um, you can go check that out on my podcast uh, venues, uh, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all those places. So... Uh, unfortunately, it's not on YouTube because YouTube decided to block the song that I had played, which was uh, Janet Varney's JV Club theme song, which is a podcast that she does. So, yeah, you'll have to listen to that on my other podcast venues so you can check that out. Mm-hmm. And by the way, uh, we actually want to give a special happy birthday to Olivia Hack, who played Ty Lee on the show. So. Yes, uh, absolutely. So happy birthday to you, Olivia. Mm-hmm. Cool. 
moving on, uh, Nathan Crowley is going to be joining the Wonka prequel uh, movie, I believe, and uh, I can't remember exactly what he's joining it for, so I don't know if you want to fill us in on that. Mm, um, I don't really know either. I think they just announced that he was going to be in it, but as for like which role, I'm not sure. But it they, it did said on the article from Discussing Film that he was going to be joining in. I think that he's... Oh, here it is. Uh, um, he will be serving as the production designer. Okay, so it's, it's not an acting role. It's just a production um, role. So uh, as we mentioned before with the upcoming Wonka movie, it's going to take place in the mid-19th century during the Industrial Revolution, where Willy Wonka is said to be a man who sees color within the gray of a dreary England. This is going to be interesting because... Um, we don't really know when Willy Wonka takes place in the book. We do know that it, that the book was released in 1964. And so if it's going by that, then maybe they're going to do Willy Wonka, like, maybe, like, toward, like, where the book started. Maybe it would be, like, an old man, just like it was in the original book as opposed to a middle-aged man. I'll tell you so, what, though. I would like to bring it back to Nathan Crowley just for a second because you, you know what movies he's responsible for, right? Like, uh, you know, no, what? Okay. Um, the Dark Knight, uh, Tenet. Interstellar, The Dark Knight Rises, Batman Begins, Dunkirk. You know, he's he's done some pretty dark movies. Not only that, that, but those are all Christopher Nolan movies. Yeah, so, like, uh, I mean, uh, he's also done, like, uh, John Carter and Public Enemies as well, and Behind Enemy Lines. So, you know, like, uh, hmm, it's uh, it might be uh, a suggestion into how he's going to go about this. I well, I mean, if the description says that it's supposed to be during the Industrial Revolution and it's supposed to be where England is supposed to be gray and dreary and only Willy Wonka sees color, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe it'll be like, you know, everything is like very um, sapient and kind of like a dreary kind of brownish, almost like akin to Wizard of Oz. And then when you have Willy Wonka, everything is like really bright and colorful. So I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of go into that direction. I wonder if they're going to make it like Christopher Robin, where it's kind of like, you know, everything is like, you know, uh, a bit miserable and dreary. And then only the color comes in when you see Pooh Bear and like all the characters. And everything. I like that. That would be an interesting direction. Yeah, we'll see. But, uh, I mean, besides that, I mean, nothing else really to add, I think, to Wonka at the moment. So, I uh, think uh, that's uh, really uh, the latest news that's coming through it. So, I mean, the, the fact that we're talking about it, I think, and the fact that we're seeing a bit of intrigue in it, and the fact that I'm you know, surprised it's even happening anyway, like, uh, I think we'll end up kind of, like, taking a look at it and seeing how it goes. So. Yeah, I mean, it, we are going to do it anyway due to the fact that it is part of the um, Roll Doll adaptation, so we will be covering it in the Roll Doll retrospective. Mm-hmm. So yeah, look out for that one when we finally when we finally get there. So. Yeah, when we find well, if if remember if we're not going to be talking about that, then we'll be talking about the Matilda musical, or we'll be finally you know taking some time to cover the 1976 BBC TV movie of James and the Giant Peach. I'm trying to remember what when it you know we did announce the Matilda musical. We actually announced when it was going to come out. I'm trying to remember yes, actually. Yes, we yes we did we did we did announce that last week, and it's going to be coming out I believe uh, around December. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, uh, yeah, so, yeah, one, for so um, one for Christmas then. So. Yeah, uh, uh, it is going to be coming out in theaters for the UK. But and actually, for, like, uh, it's an interesting time to release in December because in December it'll actually be the um, 11th anniversary of the movie actually being uh, first performed in Dece- on the 9th of December. So. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the actual stage adaptation, yeah. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I'm actually really curious about how it's going to turn out as well, considering that, um, 
you know, this is going to be based off of the musical and not of the book. So a lot of people were saying like, oh, but we already had a movie. It's like, it's not based off of the book. It is based off of the musical. So calm down, everybody. There's no Danny DeVito in this one. So (laughs) no Danny DeVito. So yeah, sorry. Yeah. But uh, I mean, like Hamilton turned out pretty well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and uh, I'm I'm looking forward to a new interpretation of uh, Matilda, as well as a new interpretation of Willy Wonka. I mean, I know a lot of people say, "Oh, it's not necessary," but the direction that they're going at, at least, it sounds interesting. It's not like, oh, you know, it's the same thing over and over again, like Tom and Jerry, Willy Wonka, and the Chocolate Factory. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, well, that's something we are somewhat uh, interested in. This is something we are not interested in whatsoever. Oh my god, I can't believe I'm announcing this. So, um, Netflix released a trailer for Johnny Test Revival. I cannot believe that they are even doing this. I mean, who asked for a... Who asked for more Johnny Test? It lasted for over, like, what, a hundred episodes? And, you know, it it lasted for quite a while. It it was around for, like, I don't know, like, five, six years. And now they're saying, hey, we're going to release new episodes. It's like... Why? I mean, you already had a good run. You had, you know, six seasons. That's more than anybody can even dream of. Do, do and you, then you're do saying you know, Do you know, that- uh, Patricia, on IMDb, there is not one episode that is rated... There is not one episode, at least uh, that's not a special episode, that's rated over 7 out of 10 on IMDb right now. They are literally all just 7, or they are worse. Oof. Like the the, the, ov- the overall rating of Johnny Test, according to viewers, is five point eight three out of ten. Oh and, man! And someone rough. had to sit through one day, ten hours, and twenty three minutes of this shit. Yeah, so that's one hundred and seventeen episodes, two hundred and thirty four segments, six seasons, where you get to see a whole bunch of crazy wackiness happening, with Johnny being experimented by his sisters, having all of these wacky villains and. A lot of screaming, a lot of yelling, just over-the-top action that gives people a lot a headache. And yeah, I mean, the, the show was out for like a few years. I mean, it, it ended in 2014. So what made people say, you know, we've waited six years. Let's bring it back. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're just confused. I mean, we're don't don't get me wrong. Like uh, the animation in the the modern, I mean, mind you, that's not saying much. I mean, every you know, it seems that every reboot seems to have like a slicker look now. You know, in on Netflix, but uh, that's not saying much. I mean, like uh, this is still, from what we can see, the same shitty show. Like, you know, it's yeah. like, it's just, it's, uh, we're, uh, again, like, uh, you know, you know all this stuff is borrowed. You know Johnny Tesk, you know, is a, is a pun on Johnny Quest. And you know that those two sisters come from Dexler's laboratory. You know, like, and you know that all the other stuff, like, you know, that even the dog is somewhat kind of, like, influenced by, like, a Scooby-Doo dynamo, like, Hanna-Barbera kind of, like, deal. Like, it's just, it's, uh, there's, there's nothing original in this show. There, mm. there just isn't. Everything here is so borrowed. Yeah, and not to mention that, I mean, if you did want it to reboot Johnny Test, then at least wait a few more years. I think it's too soon. It's like what I felt about Ben 10 getting a reboot. It's like, are you serious? You didn't even wait like 10 years for the show to be, you know, somewhat retro. I mean, you know, people already still knew about Ben 10, and now you're having a reboot? 
It's like with Johnny Tess, it's like it's been six years since the show ended. It had over a hundred episodes. I mean, even Rugrats, as much as we had our issues with like the trailer of the uh, revi- the re- reboot, at least they waited like fourteen years until they brought it back. But no, it's like, well, here it is. You know, six years later, here's the reboot. It's like, oh man. Yeah, I mean, he, he, even when they waited all that long, even the uh, even even people then weren't satisfied. Like, uh, yeah, you, was, you know uh, about that? You know about that post on Facebook where the Johnny Test um, Facebook fan page was like, you know, who likes Johnny Test? And then the guy uh, responded in the bottom saying no one. And then the Johnny Test fan page just reacted with an emoji with a crying face. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah. Again, like uh, um, this is. I don't understand why Netflix is doing this. I really don't. Like, uh, I guarantee you, like, uh, is, is is this show... I would be interested to see when this show first comes out, who is going to watch this? Like, is it even going to appear on even, like, their like their top ten cartoons when it first comes yeah. out? Like, uh, That's going to be an interesting question, considering that we already know from the Netflix Geeked Week that they have a lot of cool stuff coming out on Netflix. Which is so, better than this show. I think yeah, we can all say hands down is better than this show. So, I'm sorry, Johnny Test gets no love from us whatsoever. We we remember the original show, and it was... I think, mind you, like, I do admit, like, you know, we see things from a 90s perspective, so, of course, we're going to look at probably, like, you know, a 2000s show and look at it and think, yeah, this is this is not right. I mean, I, I get we have that stigma, but at the same time, like, uh, we judge it upon what we uh, saw, and, like, we grew up with Johnny Quest, and we grew up with Dexter's Laboratory, and we grew up with the Scooby-Doo shows, and we, and we can tell you, we look at this show and we say there's nothing here original because we've seen it all before and it was done a thousand times better and not a hundred percent wrong you know um if you are excited for the johnny test reboot then good for you see a therapist well i mean i don't know but all i know is is that aaron and i are definitely not going to be watching it I, i would recommend it Instead, that you watch my friend Rowdy C's review of Johnny Test, and you'll find out exactly what is wrong with this. Oh, show. and say, say a prayer for him as well when he's once he's done with the final episode. Good grief! I don't know oh, how he's geez, gonna get. He's gonna have to watch the reboot, and he's gonna have to give his thoughts on it. I feel so bad for I feel, him. Yeah, he's. Uh, I, don't, I don't envy him. I'm pretty much like, uh, yeah, he's in. A, he's in. It's a. He's in a terrible position right now. That's all I gotta oh, say. Yeah. So. Anyway, um, let's talk about something we actually like. Um, Pix Mix is going to be returning, and uh, we are going to be seeing Luca. So, um, yeah, you know, like, uh, we're going to be giving a preview of this. So, we've seen the movie, and uh, I have to say, it's, uh, I mean, we, I mean, I'm not, we're not going to give you, like, any spoilers or anything like that, but uh, we have to say, a uh, very beautiful movie, a uh, very standard story, we have to say, which is uh, very um, interesting for uh, Pixar. That's been very, you know, very uh, fluid with its uh, storytelling recently, and very, uh, you know, very interchangeable with, uh, with the way that they approach uh, storytelling now. But uh, they went with a standard uh, format, and, uh, yeah, they... They've uh, come out uh, looking pretty well from it as well, but unfortunately, uh, not much is going to be taken from the box office because obviously, you know, you know, still virus, and uh, so they decided to go with the safe route of uh, going exclusively to Disney Plus. So. Yeah, which is a shame because I think that the presentation here is just as good as Soul, but in a very different way because we're taking Soul, which was um, the hustle and bustle of New York City, to the small. 
Italian Riviera. So we're talking about something completely different, and it, it presents itself in a beautiful way. So if you thought that the presentation of La Luna was great, it's, it's built up exponentially more in Luca. So... We did enjoy this movie. Uh, we're not going to give too much of our discussion of it on, uh, until we release the episode of uh, Pixmix so you can hear more about it. But yeah, from what I understand, uh, a lot of people did really like this movie. And then there were like a few critics here and there saying, you know, Pixar has lost its touch, which we completely disagree on. Pixar has not lost its touch. We mentioned this before that Pixar is going in a different direction because they have new management. John Lasseter is no longer a part of this. Pete Docter is the president. And they want to rely on new, fresh creators to tell their stories. So, yeah, Pixar has not lost its touch. It's just going in a new direction, and that's fine. I think it's just like people like are just annoyed because there's not going to be an Incredibles 3 and there's not going to be like any sequels to like any of their favorite movies. I think you know, and this, and like, by the way, like uh, they're in a position to say that uh, they're not, uh, you know, inclined to do so because uh, I mean, right now they feel that uh, they got enough original content uh, and enough uh, creative, you know, people. And keep in mind, like uh, they did their shorts as well, if you remember. Like uh, we we liked all the shorts that uh, you know uh, that uh, we, we also looked at as well. And eventually we're going to review uh, when we do the next, uh, you know, couple of uh, Pixar shorts, uh, you know, eventually somewhere down the line. And so I mean, you look at the shorts and you think there's some promising stories and promising talent here. You know, for them to uh, to go forward with. So um, there's no uh, there's no initiative for them to uh, do sequels right now. Right? Let, let them do their original stories. You know, Luca is definitely something we're we're going to be saying uh, good things about. Obviously, you know, I'm spoiling for the uh, the the Pixmix uh, you know review, but uh, you know, definitely ch- check out Pixmix because uh, we can definitely tell you, like, uh, okay, it's not you know 100% perfect, but uh, there is something promising here in Luca, and I think something promising here in the next bunch of uh, Pixar movies that we're going to be uh, getting into. So. Yeah. So, yeah, if you are waiting for your big movie based off of an existing franchise, then don't worry. We're going to be having Lightyear next year. So there you go. <laughs> okay, so uh, Luca coming out and uh, the Pix Mix uh, review also going to be coming soon as well. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Okay, everybody, so for those who don't want to listen to us uh, talk about the Owl House uh, episode 2 of season 2, we're going to end the show here for you. So uh, take care, everybody. We'll see you next week. But if you're going to stick around for the Owl House, then uh, definitely stick around in the next couple of seconds. So, cool. Three, two one you've had your warning okay we are going to talk about the owl house uh, season two episode two it is the episode that uh, a lot of people who have uh, been seeing some of the little spoilers and some of the little out of context uh, screens and also some of the stuff that's also come out in the uh, the trailers as well and also some of the ad that uh, disney channel have been playing uh, they've been looking forward to uh, this episode uh, quite well and uh, my goodness definitely it did deliver I have to say. Oh, yes. And uh, so, I agree. And mind you, like, I said this all along, and by the way, uh, I think uh, the one line I think everybody uh, has got everyone excited as is basically saying, uh, you know, stay away from my lose. I think he's yes. definitely the the uh, the lowest, uh, has uh, warmed the hearts of Lumity fans. I think and is definitely going to be building up, uh, you know, in, in, in the anticipation. I think for when they go for their adventure through the uh, the dark side of the library. But I mean, obviously, going back to this episode um, again, like like I said in the uh, in the casual chats and on the old school lane podcast, you know, I said like uh, they're going to build up the uh, you know this and uh, you know what doesn't kill you is going to make you stronger. And uh, you know, we can definitely say this for Amity, who you know at one point looked 
look like uh, she was going to be given no choice but to kind of abandon her friends, you know, when uh, they go into uh, into expulsion, but uh, then realizes that, uh, you know, she has to come to Luz's rescue because Luz isn't going to give up on any, any, anybody. And so she chooses not to give up on, on them either. So, um... The first bit of it, obviously, is like uh, they seem to have like this shady, kind of like cultish, kind of like uh, you know, um, you know, pre- you know, uh, show that they have. Like to uh, so we find out that uh, Amity's parents are the owners of Blight Industries, and uh, so their uh, their father is basically. I think this is going to disappoint maybe some Owl House fans because the way that the fan art has been been. Uh, uh, has been directed, and they can't. You can't blame them for this because obviously the episode where they have to save Willow's memories gives a kind of a skewed view, I guess you could say, of uh, Amity's father as this, uh, like you know, the, this head of this household. And then we find out that actually no, that's not the case. He's actually kind of like a very not docile, but uh, he's just kind of like you know more interested in his work and like uh, the creativity around him more than he is kind of like you know he's he's kind of out of focus in a way, and like uh, he's just more interested. He's kind of like just creating all the machinery that uh, you know his wife kind of wants him to do so uh, he's kind of like more a means to an end really in the uh, in the relationship between the blights and uh, you know amity's mother is the one who basically is the control freak and uh, is the one who is manipulative and the one who is kind of like you know doing all the bad stuff in the episode she's the antagonist in a way so um we've kind of established that dynamic um also um there's one bit that did confuse me i think in the episode and uh, i mean i'll tell you what, before we get into that i mean what's your thoughts on the introductions of amity's parents yeah, I had a feeling that Amity's parents were going to turn out to be the way that they were. Um, of course, you know, we saw that in Understanding Willow, where her parents were very controlling. And we definitely saw this with Amity's mother, where she used a talisman uh, on, on her you know, neck. She had a necklace where she was able to communicate with her telepathically because she is an oracle. And she was able to say to Amity, you know, do as I say, you know, this is part of the deal and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, we even saw the necklace. She was wearing it throughout all season one. And she even had this in the flashback of Understanding Willow. So she had this necklace practically all her life. And the interesting thing is that we don't see um, her, her, her twin siblings wear the necklace. I don't know, maybe because they're closer to their mother, that maybe they don't need the necklace. It's kind of like a Helga Olga situation in which like the siblings are perfect with their magic while Amity is not. So maybe that goes into that direction. So another comparison with Helga. Anyway, so yeah, I had a feeling that, um, Mrs. Blight was going to be that controlling, but I didn't know that Mr. Blight was going to be the henpecked husband who was just going to be working on his abominations and, you know, focusing on the inventions for Blight Industries. So I didn't know he was going to be, um, kind of like an understanding parent where he believes in like proper order and how the Blight family should be represented. So yeah, I thought it was going to be just as strict and just as foppish as Mrs. Blight, but no, he's actually a pushover, which is kind of surprising. Anyway, so yeah, that, that's what I felt about Mr. and Mrs. Blight. I kind of feel more sorry for Amity, knowing that she had to go through this as her um, upbringing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, like, uh, in regards to, um, I mean, I think the, the father figure, I think, was probably the most surprising, I think, in regards to that. I mean, like, uh, in, in a way, like, he's quite relatable. In a way, like uh, you know, he's uh, he's uh, in some people like uh, you know who he's constantly distracted. Like uh, you know, there's one bit where like he's uh, with Principal Bump. Like uh, he's just like he's just interested. Like why has he got this tail? And like he's just kind of like poking at it. 
and everything <laughs> like you know and then there's other songs like he's chasing butterflies around like you know he's like yeah, he's uh his head's just in the clouds and like you know in a way i kind of looked at it and think yeah i can sort of kind of relate to that in a way you know like uh, so um it's uh yeah like he's just interested in like his own you know inventions i think he's only kind of like being dragged you know being dragged around by his wife because he has to be you know, like, yeah. uh, I think that's the only uh, reason why he ends up kind of being put behind. But then you see at the very end, uh, you know, after all that goes on, like, uh, he's uh, there to say to his, like, when he's, he feels like his wife's going too far, he's like, say, hey, you made a promise to your daughter and you're going to stick by it. And like, so he's, in a way, when he knows his wife is getting somewhat out of line, he's not afraid to put his foot down then. And like, uh, I don't know if it's just the fact that he was just getting tired and like he just wanted the episode to end. I don't know. But uh, like, uh, it's like, yeah, 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 it's like, uh, yeah, enough now. Like, I want to go play my GameCube. But, uh, you know, like, uh, I don't know if it was just like, um, like that. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's, um, you know, I, I was just, the, the dynamic, I think, by the, the Blights, I think, was very surprising. I don't think it was what we were expecting. And, uh, but in a pleasant way, it wasn't what we were expecting. So. Yeah, I, I agree. It wasn't what we were expecting, but you know what? Um, I did like the presentation on both of the parents, and I can't wait to see what happens, especially with that end credit. Yeah. Also, like, you know, Principal Bump, like, uh, you know, he's, um, I, I'm not saying he's playing both sides of the fence. I mean, obviously he has to keep the, uh, the, uh, the Empress covered, and he also has to keep, like, the PCA, like, on side for the sake of, you know, you know, for the sake of Hex side. But, you know, he really does deeply care about, you know, our, our, our protagonists here. Like, you know, he, he didn't want us, you know, expel you know, uh, lose, you know, Willow and, and Gus, but he, he felt like he needed to in order to keep, you know, to, uh, you know, keep the, keep the school happy pretty much. So, uh, yeah. you know, like, so and, you and can sympathize you with him. Yeah, you also saw a scene where, while he was trying to push them away, he had a tear in his eye. And he was, like, looking through a photo of him saying that, oh, Hexide is so dull without you. So he does genuinely care. Mm-hmm. Um, what I mean, obviously, Luz once again gets in over her head and decides that, uh, oh, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, well, what, how original <laughs> for this show, <laughs> and, uh, you know, puts herself in danger for, like, all these, like, experiments and everything like that, and, uh, but, uh, you know, like, uh, it's gonna be interesting to see, like, because uh, you remember, like, remember when they did the stream, and, uh, they said that, oh, like, at the very end, they said, oh, like, they're all gonna live happily ever after and stuff like that, like, imagine, like, uh, you know, Luz's mother having to learn that, you know, um, her, uh, you know, her Greta basically tried to murder her, you know, on, on, on the on the in like in, in the in the second episode of the show in the season two. Like uh, I could probably imagine how interesting that's going to go down. You know, thinking yeah. about it. So, you know, um, also uh, we get the moment that uh, you know you think you know Amity isn't going to stand up to her parents, but then eventually she does, and uh, she does it in probably the most theatrical way. I think uh, we can definitely say. And, uh, you know, she genuinely does, you know, um, care for Luz, as we all know. And, uh, you know, she bakes her fairy pies and uh, she uh, really tries her best to, uh, you know, uh, put, put a, a good appearance on, which we you know, we all love to see. And uh, then well, she comes the way, to the uh, rescue. What, what, was, what was the joke that you told me about when she gave... Like, oh, you know, I can't believe pie. we brushed over that. Yeah, sorry about that, everybody. So, um, as we all know, Amity's voice actress, and I completely forget her name. Uh, she, Mae Whitman. Yeah, she was the voice of Tinkerbell in the Tinkerbell TV series. So, um, I'm kind of thinking this was done on purpose. When um, Luz comes back and everyone can greet her and everything like that. Oh, by the way, Gus is now... You know, at this uh, loses size. <laughs> like he's had a growth spurt at this now. Yeah. So, uh, appar so apparently, the lie, uh, no, the two lies and a truth, where one of them was Gus gets a growth spurt. I guess that was true as well, even though that we know in the next episode that Hootie's gonna leave the Owl House. So it's like, 
Which is it, Dana Terrace? Is it all of them at this point? Because I want to see Luce's mom kick somebody's butt. Well, uh, who, who knows? Like, may, maybe we're probably being like, I think Luce's mom, I think probably will figure out how to get to the uh, to, to boil, the boiling aisle somehow. How she's going to fare there, I have no idea. <laughs> Yeah. Like, uh, I don't but, yeah, know. Yeah, that is true. But yes, Gus does get a growth spurt. Not only does his voice change, but yeah, he does also uh, reach the same height as Luce. Yeah, I think, uh, unless I'm wrong, like, has uh, Gus's voice actor changed? I think, or is no, it, 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 is, it is. No, it's the same voice actor. It's just that, you know, he's now 15 years old and now his voice has completely changed. It's actually the same guy who played as Raven's son in Raven's Home, that Raven, uh, the Thasso Raven. Um, continuation series that we watched one time when we were at a hotel room oh good uh, grief that show come on to the life raft we're here to save your career you know here's the owl house like you know like, oh good grief <laughs> all right then moving on um so um yeah like uh i like the fact that you know gus and willow are now like you know more icon you know the, the same level as like you know losing amity now and uh, you know there's something though like I, I really hope they keep this team dynamic together of like you know oh Luz and amity and you know gus and willow are gonna get together and save the day you know and like i really have, I, I really love that kind of, i always love teams I really do like it. That's the reason why I love The Incredibles. That's the reason why I love Star Fox. It's one of the reasons why I like, uh, you know, uh, you know, I like Bucky O'Hare and Toe Wars. Like, you know, I just love, you know, teams who get, you know, like uh, different characters who get together, can bounce off one another and, you know, save the day. You know, I love that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to say that I also love the B-side plot story where it involves with uh, Lilith and Ida learning about the glyphs. You know, I was actually going to get to that. So, um, you know, so yeah, they're having to learn basically their magic again. Ida is really just impatient with trying to get to be back to being the powerful witch in the boiling. And then you, you, when you watch the first episode, you can kind of understand why. But, uh, you know, Lilith in this is... Would you say Lilith is starting to, start to kind of redeem herself? In a way, in like, uh, because like, uh, she's, you know, she's willing to listen to Luz to, you know, obviously, you know, get her magic back and obviously, you know, be, be paying attention and, you know, to, uh, to do that. And I don't know if she's, or if we're just seeing that she's just sucking up to her and like, I don't know, she's going to betray her at some point. I don't know. Um, uh. Well, I don't know, but I feel that Lilith is genuinely trying to connect not only with her sister, but also don't forget that in the next episode, she... Luce and Hootie are going to be doing an epic scope with um, involving with the uh, reveal of King's Pass. So I'm really looking forward to the next episode. Which, um, I really like the fact that Lilith was able to pick up on the, the glyphs powers pretty quickly. And she was able to uh, discuss about how glyphs are like words. They command magic as opposed to like the way that they used to do it in which they already had magic inside of the gall bladders of next to their hearts or something like that that was kind of weird but yeah apparently if you could do combinations of the glyphs you can actually create other magical abilities like whether it be um the stuff that they used to do like turning invisible or um making somebody go to sleep or explosions so i'm really looking forward to the combinations because from what king said uh, in the episode, the reason maybe why Luz hasn't discovered any more glyphs was because there aren't any more. So that just goes to show you that maybe there'll be uh, moments in which uh, Luz is going to be combining the glyphs together and we'll be able to see some more unique ways of how they can be able to uh, pr uh, create the magic. And but if, the, if I'm, that, also, I'm not too sure if I entirely agree with that because, like, if there's no more glyphs, I mean, like, how do you explain all the other covens and how do you explain all the other magic? 
because uh, clearly the, there must be more glyphs out there if uh, you know to do like abominations and like you know like even the construction coven. You know, surely it must be something well, to I, do with that. Well, I know that the construction coven involves with like building something, and I know with uh, potions it involves with like your knowledge of potions, illusions. I know that that's also a, another ability as well. Uh, abominations is another one. So yeah, I'm sure that there is, but I'm sure that they have to find a way of being able to work on that because I mean, we've never seen Ida or Lilith do any abominations and we do know that they went over to the potions um, you know, um coven when they were in Hexide. So, we do know that they were experts on that and I know that they also did other things as well. I mean, when they were in the Emperor's coven, they had um, when Lilith was there, I mean, she didn't have to worry about losing any of her other abilities because it was open to all of it. So, yeah, that makes me wonder about, like, um, you know, with her training in Hexide, is Luz going to be able to learn about controlling abominations or uh, controlling illusions and all that kind of stuff? So, yeah, I'm actually curious about how she's going to learn that. Yeah. So, I think uh, I think somewhere down the line, I think we are going to see... I think we will see, like, other glyphs, I think. maybe Or maybe they are going to say, like, oh, it is just, like, the glyphs that we have now and uh, you just have to combine them in some way. And like, yes, uh, I, I think so. I think maybe, maybe what we're seeing here, and maybe it's like, maybe it's the glyphs, but then maybe it's also the things that tie the glyphs together. Maybe because you see, like you know, the first thing that they did was like they they did it in like into a circle. So maybe it might be the fact that maybe you have to do like you have to tie them up in some other ways. Maybe like uh, you know, like uh, maybe we might see infinity glyphs. Maybe. Like, Ooh, uh, that would be really cool. Yeah, like uh, yeah, who knows. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, um, so there's, uh, so obviously the, the glyph, you know, mystery is obviously starting to, uh, like, start to get bigger. Mind you, like, you can kind of get to see why Gravity Falls fans immediately went over to the Owl House, because obviously the, the, the whole mystery of, like, how the Boiling Owls works and keeping everyone in the dark about, uh, you know, certain things is definitely working, you know, to, uh, to, to their advantage, and it's good storytelling as well. So. Yeah, and... Another thing is, is that it's not derivative from Gravity Falls, even though it does have the same humor, even though it has the same elements with mystery as Gravity Falls, it doesn't feel like it's a carbon copy of Gravity Falls. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, I, I sometimes like to think that, uh, you know, where maybe, uh, maybe Grunkle Stan, maybe uh, uh, Ed, one of Ida's uh, old boyfriends was probably a Grunkle Stan at some point. I don't know. You know what? If if we have the whole Disney Cinematic Universe connecting together, I wouldn't be surprised if that would be the case. Uh, considering that we also saw a little cameo of Hop Pop from Amphibia as one of uh, uh, Willow's books. Again, so, uh, I, I, w- I would just love to like have like an, an Avengers Endgame where like, you know, in like the last movie maybe in like, uh, you know, the Owl House, like all these portals just open up and then you just get like, you know, you have like all the, all the people from Gravity Falls, you have all the people from like, uh, you know, Amphibia, you have like other, you know, Disney TV shows that all come over here and they just have this massive final battle. <laughs> that would be so that, much fun. That would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Gummy bears come out like, you know, just like, good grief. <laughs> Is that everyone? What, you wanted more? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, we can put in some gargoyles and Darkwing Duck and we're done. Oh, the gargoyles will be amazing. Yeah, like, I would uh, but love it anyway, so much. we're not we're not finished totally yet. So, um, Lumity is obviously on the way. I think everyone's going to be obviously looking forward to seeing how this flourishes. And to be honest with you, though, I think we are going to get some heartache moments. I think over the next couple of over the next couple of episodes, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. 
I think. Because... Oh, I wouldn't be surprised either, considering of what we know of the upcoming episodes. I mean, we know, we know about the library episode, and that's going to be a major one for the Lumity fans. Yeah. And as for, like, the story lore, I mean, we do know about uh, the next episode, which is going to be focusing more about King's past, so I'm looking forward to that. Well, one thing about the, going back to the uh, the episode we're talking about is that uh, um, the, um, the Golden Guard was kind of part to the side in this episode. Like, he pretty much only made a cameo in this. Pretty much. Yeah, but, but he made a very important cameo, considering the fact that he's saying that Emperor Bellos was going to be taking their abomination soldiers and saying, you know, we're going to personally use them and, you know, you're going to be paid for them for so you can be able to do more experiments. And he was saying, you know, the, the, the Emperor Bellos does not like the fact that you're having private soldiers going up against him. And it's like, oh, man. So Emperor Bellos not well, only I knows think, what's I think going not on... Not necessarily going up against him. I think he just doesn't like the idea that there's a private army out. So, like, he's, buy he's basically buying up shop. So uh, mm. yeah, so basically, still, I mean, you know, he's basically nationalized private, you know, private industries at this point. So like, uh, they only exclusively work for him. So yeah, mm -hmm. but still, I mean, something's going on. I mean, that's definitely going to be happening with the day of the awakening, with the whole Titan thing, and then opening up the the human portal. So yeah, something's going on with Emperor Bellas, and I'm really curious about what's going to be happening over the next few episodes. You know, I I don't, I you know, I just think he's a massive liar. I don't believe at all that he has uh, no intentions of invading the human realm. I I wouldn't be obviously surprised like you know portal opens out, come these you know abomination robots, and like they just run rampant around this around the, around the country. You know, like, uh, you mm. know, you, I, I I can see it. I really can. So. I will, we'll, we'll see. But, you know, like, yeah, again, that's another mystery that, uh, you know, we, we go through Lumity, we go through, like, all the interaction of all these characters, but, you know, they're kind of like just smaller stories and a much bigger story, I think. And, like, you know, what is the connection between the Boiling Isles and the human realm? Like, uh. Yeah. yeah. And also, since we all, we know at some point that. Um, time is passing with um, each of the episodes. It was a week and a half in the first episode of season two since the event of the petrification ceremony. And then it was like three days later from that episode when Luce is like teaching Ida and um, with uh, Lilith. So there's a lot of time that's going on. We're talking about at least two weeks that uh, Camilla has not heard from her daughter. She has not received any text messages because the portal is gone. And we also need to know about the mystery of the letters that we saw in the Grom Fright episode. Mm. There's so part of me got, that I'm, believes, I'm still going on this theory, is that I think the letters have stopped and now Camilla is starting to become worried. And, yeah, I uh, think that's exactly what's going to be happening, too. I think there's, there's, I mean, some episode down in the line, we're going to see Camilla getting really worried that she's not getting any letters or text messages or when she tries calling her that she's not answering her phone and then she's going to go over and find out what happened to her. There's going to, I, I feel that that's going to be happening pretty soon. Yeah. Or maybe she might even be like, be going into her own mystery. Maybe she might make it to the camp and she realizes that, you know, that in itself was probably, you know, like, uh, maybe there's some, like, some really weird awful stuff currently going on at the camp that uh, and maybe the letters are being sent by like the people who are running the camp and uh, they wanted uh, maybe there's something crazy going on there too and maybe that's going to be Camilla's side story so hmm. that would be really interesting I would like that yeah well, until then, we don't know. So uh, the mystery of the Owl House continues. So uh, thanks, everybody, for uh, checking this out. And uh, by the way, because we're just going episode by episode, it doesn't mean we're not going to do, like, you know, a massive, like, overview of Season 2 in the future. So, like... Uh... Oh, no, we are definitely doing an overview of Season 2, considering that a lot of you guys really enjoyed our discussion of the Owl House, and we thank you for that. It was um, much appreciative, and, you know, I thought that a lot of people were not going to be interested in listening in because, well, I mean, a lot of uh, my content in old school 
cool lane is mostly like retro stuff as opposed to like the newer stuff. So uh, the fact that I was uh, seeing the views being just as high as my other content, I was genuinely surprised. And we're definitely going to be doing our season two recap when um, season two ends. Yeah. Well, keep in mind, like, you know, there's a lot of other old stuff to talk about out there. You know, like stuff that we definitely grew up with. And so, uh, yeah, even I'm bringing in my suggestions, too. So hopefully we'll, we'll take those in at some point. So Yeah. One, one day at a time. One day cool. at a time. All right, everybody. Well, that's our Owl House review, and uh, we will definitely uh, check you all out next week. So take care, and bye-bye for now. See you later.